0: Hello, welcome to the CityWire Funds Fanatic Podcast. My name is Gavin Lumsden, and with me today, for the second time in two years, is Peter Spiller of Capital Gearing Trust. Peter, great to see you. Now, we're going to talk about inflation, which has, as you correctly predicted, surged from near zero the last time we spoke in August 2020 to 7%. But first, the other big thing that's changed uh, recently is if you've achieved 40 years running the investment trust. So, congratulations. Um, How do you feel about uh, notching up such a long tenure?
1: Well, it's been a lot of fun going. That's, that's, that's been the key feature of it. Um, and it started off being fascinating and is still just as fascinating. Um, but when I started in 82, it was really a great time for a fund manager to start to put together a record. Because inflation was elevated but falling. Interest rates were high but falling. Balance sheets were in terrific shape. And, and um, PEs were very low. So the market was on something like seven times.
0: And this is because the market's coming out of the, the terrible 1970s high infla- period of high yeah. inflation, low returns. Well, the, the 1970s were, were, um,
1: were indeed ghastly. Um, but they did achieve some purging effects as well. So when Volcker was appointed to squeeze out inflation in 1979.
0: So this is the, the, the financial secretary?
1: The, the president, uh, no, uh, the, uh, the, the chairman of the Federal Reserve. Um, so he, he was appointed to defeat inflation, almost regardless, whatever it takes. Um, and the reason why he was able to do that without causing a depression was that the inflation of the 70s had eliminated large parts of the debt burden so the body of the economy was able to take the medicine without severe effects. There was a minor recession. But, um, and
0: that's all very different today, but you now we'll get on to that. Yes, but are you... So yes, so now we're in the period of rapidly rising inflation and the central banks and the Fed are beginning to take steps to do that. But um, is the Fed do you think the Fed's hawkish enough to repeat what Volcker did? Because you, uh, well, you're looking forward to a, a, another Volcker moment, I, uh, I understand. Uh, uh, well, indeed. But, but first of all, the conditions are not yet right
1: for a Volcker moment, because of that debt point. So, for a very long period, essentially since the mid-90s, we've had very accommodative monetary policy, uh, which has not produced inflation because of the very um, powerful forces for deflation coming from technology, democracy, um, but particularly from globalization. So the number of people involved in the capitalist market roughly doubled, um, and that huge increase in the supply of cheap labor kept the price of goods very low throughout. And central banks were therefore able to be very easy in their policy Uh, without causing inflation but what they did do um, and I think history will not be generous to them or not noticing was allow debt to increase to unsustainable levels so um, the question what will have had to be hawkish uh, is a very interesting one because up until very recently they were the very reverse ultra dovish um, and started to talk about targets like uh, unemployment levels among disadvantaged groups. And that had to be uh, very low before they would uh, tighten policy. Um, and that's just based on 25 years of there being no inflationary problem. So they're very aware of their sort of social uh, responsibilities. Yes. Well, they've got twin, twin objectives. They've got, they've got uh, inflation and, and, uh, and growth. Um, if you, that became reverse on so Volcker, it was only inflation that counted. Um, and towards the uh, end of, of uh, 1921, uh, it was increasingly clear that employment was the only thing that counted. And so the Fed was massively behind the curve when it came to tightening. And I think the correct way to look at it is that they became concerned that they were losing their credibility, and, and even people like Larry Summers were writing quite aggressive articles in the wall street journal and as a result of that, they have uh, used very hawkish language in the last last few months. Is there a risk of them going too far well it 's it's very interesting uh, so the answer is yes, but um, it, it 's very interesting because uh, I thought it was rather neatly put by something I read from. Uh, Jamie Morgan's chief economist uh, yesterday, where he was saying that they've gone from the New Testament, always forgiving, to the Old Testament to smite the economy uh, until inflation is slain. Um, as mentioned earlier, the second is not a viable policy, in my view, because with this amount of debt around, a reasonably deep, recession runs the real danger of spiraling down into a depression. And I think they are very aware of that. Um, And just to recall, for much of that 25 years, uh, when they were running their very easy policy, they used to refer to tightening episodes in the past, 1937, um, uh, and uh, others uh, spring to mind uh, as mistakes. It was referred to as mistakes when they tightened too soon and too much. Um, and then in 2018, in order to not repeat that same quote mistake, um, they turned around when financial conditions became, uh, quite tight. And, And on some measures, they are already as tight now as they were when, when they pivoted in 2018. Not on all, so there are some measures which say they have a bit to go. But I think we're getting reasonably close.
0: And we've seen stock markets fall, particularly yes. fully valued, highly valued, yes. growth technology stocks. Um, but you know, has, has the US stock market say fallen enough? It's around down around sixteen percent, I think, uh, this year in, in, in dollar terms, less in, in sterling. Right, well, defined define enough, but mm. but but the. Well, um, to bring it down to but, sort but, of, we, we, if it, was, if it was overvalued before. Yes. Uh, h- how far does it have to fall to be? So, I think its
1: overvaluation but, was a very big reason for the fall. There are all sorts of other things as well, but but essentially, it just got so overvalued; it, it, it was not sustainable. And we have seen some really dramatic falls in in um Cathie Wood stocks, uh, for instance. i.e. stocks where, where there's
0: some. Um, Undoubtedly uh, undoubtedly huge promise sometime in the future, but no revenues now. So the famous US fund manager, ARK fund manager, investing in, yeah, uh, internet and beam stocks. Right. And I gather yesterday she bought General Motors.
1: Well, Well, that's a turnaround. It's certainly a turnaround. It looks awfully like capitulation, doesn't it?
0: It does, doesn't it? Um,
1: So that that, that should be a positive, I suppose. But the um, long and short of it is that using um, Schiller's cape, um, and and turbines Q and so forth. So Cape Was, is
0: cyclically uh, uh, cyclically cyclic adjusted
1: price to earnings. Yeah, right. Yeah, and turbines Q measures book to book to price. Um, and, um, and these are
0: sort of long term ways of assessing absolutely. value. They
1: tell you nothing at all about timing, um, but um, they t- they say quite a lot about value um, and to become good value on those grounds, we still got quite a long way to go. So, so the brief answer to your question is, I don't think we're there yet by, by any means. And of course, the background is very unfavorable. So the debt, as mentioned, but also earnings are um, as high as they've ever been relative to, uh, to GDP and profit margins are very high because monopoly has been tolerated um, as a matter of policy, for for a long time, and those things
0: are beginning to change. They're real. the real signs. Politically, politically, yes, and also yeah. on the expectation that we'll sort of mean reversion, things revert back to yes. the norm. And the labour share of, of
1: GDP and so forth has been thoroughly depressed, um, is
0: likely to to
1: rebound. So, so, um, so, no, we're quite a long way from fair value on the S and P five hundred.
0: What about in the bonds market? Because uh, again, U.S. government bonds uh, have fallen very sharply as well in response to rising interest rates and, and inflation. Um, you know, you tend not to invest, you don't invest in conventional uh, bonds; you invest in, in inflation linked bonds. Correct. But um, you know, I was wondering whether you thought conventional bonds also look better value now that they've their prices have fallen and their yields have gone up. Well, actually, just to point out, we do invest in in
1: conventional bonds um, as cash management, so very short, high quality corporates, for instance, um, in the the UK. Um, Bonds have have fallen, therefore, by definition, are better value than they were. Um, But we have a very different view of the likely evolution of inflation compared to the markets. So, if you look at the break evens,
0: the implied inflation rates um, are quite elevated in the short term. Actually, I wonder, people, you, you know, that the, um, the break even is an important sort of concept. If you could just uh, quickly explain, um, okay. what they are, please. As, as ever, it's more complicated, Gavin, than you yeah. might you might expect.
1: That's why I'm so, asking you to, to explain <laughs> so, it rather than me. So, um, the uh, the yield on a um, on index linked bond can be passed in the nominal yield of a bond of the same duration same credit, Um, and the break-even. And the break-even is normally defined as the expected inflation rate over the the period of the bond. Um, But I think it can be parsed further into the expected inflation rate over the life of the bond and a premium, an insurance premium, in case that expectation is too low. So what has happened in the UK on that reading of it is uh, that actuaries have said to trustees of pension funds, there is no limit to that insurance premium that you should pay, because it produce, produces certainty that you can pay meet your obligations so, so in real terms. You should hold them. You must time. hold them. And the result of that, there isn't enough supply to, uh, to satisfy that requirement for uh, for pension funds and the result of that, of that has been to push that premium very high or to put another word put another way to push real yields down to what
0: seem to us uh, quite extraordinary levels and so they expen- unattractive so expensive yeah and therefore they're not as good as they might be in t- indicating what inflation will be
1: well the, the real thing is that they're, they're very expensive and distorted so you're you're right on that point um but but uh, also they're very vulnerable to big falls in the short term, and indeed we've seen very long UK index links for forty percent
0: uh, in the last few months. So you've got about a third of capital gearing invested in these linkers, inflation linked um, yep. right. government bonds, but they're mostly US.
1: They're mostly US. So we do have some UK. I shouldn't, I shouldn't mm-hmm. but, um, but what we what we have is very short UK index linked bonds, so twenty twos and twenty fours we've earned over, over the last year. And they've been very satisfactory, because the realized rate of inflation has been so much higher than the rate of inflation that had been baked into the prices a year ago. Um, and they still look fine. Right. And because their returns are linked to inflation, inflation is yeah. going up, they're, they're going and, up. And, but the thing is, because they're short, they weren't impacted by the rising nominal rates uh, to, any, to any, anything like the same extent.
0: I want, I mean, so, but, so inflation-linked bonds have been behaving as you expect. I, I, just, I just asked the question because I was looking at a, a, a Vanguard uh, tracker fund mm-hmm. um, that tracks the UK linkers. And uh, yeah, it's over a short-term t- t- time period, the first four months of the year, but um, but it was down. And I'd have thought, you know, that's the point at which inflation is clearly right. rising. I'd have thought they'd have done better.
1: Right. So the, uh, actually, um, before I answered answer that, which I will in a second. But uh, it is just worth observing that there are remarkable tax uh, advantages uh, accorded to individuals owning indexing directly. So if, if, you're, if it's for a taxable account for an individual, uh, it makes much more sense to buy them uh, individually, which uh, individually you can do cheaply and, mm-hmm. and, 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 and uh, so forth. Well. Um, and you could buy the same duration as the fund, I think that would be fine. Um, but having said that, the the uh, as mentioned earlier, the makeup of a yield on a on a tip or a UK index link bond is made up of the nominal and and the uh, break even or a, the expected inflation, and nominal bonds have been extraordinarily weak, so that element has pushed the price of index link down, um, and. In a way, it's quite surprising, because why are bond rates up? And the answer is because inflation is higher. Exactly. So you'd think the break-even would expand correspondingly. But we have always noticed that there's a significant lag in that that process. And therefore, you have to be quite careful if you're bearish of nominal bonds about the duration of your your tips. Today, those break-evens, we can pull back into jargon for a moment, um, give you a reading for what the market expects inflation to be over different periods. And
0: so what are they they saying?
1: And what they're saying is that inflation is transitory, just to quote the Fed's favorite favorite word or what used to be the Fed's favorite word. Um, Not as transitory as it was, so originally, um, by now, all would have been well. And, and to be fair, we have had a war, which has made a very big difference, very big impact in the short term. Um, but the the idea was that much of the inflation was caused by shortages related to COVID. So shipping shortages, semiconductor shortages, all this sort of thing. And that would resolve itself. And, 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 uh, and after that, the inflation rate would go back to sort of two, two and a half percent. And that thinking was correct. So uh, we still expect that to happen. It's been, it turns out that the shipping problems and the semiconductor problems have lasted much longer than we anticipated then. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, in, uh, in a year's time, I think it's a reasonable assumption that, that uh, these uh, supply problems will have been sorted out. So do you agree and, that inflation will subside then? Yeah, right. No, hang on a <laughs> second. <laughs> so, so they probably added 1% shipping alone, probably added 1% to inflation in the US. And that will be reversed over the, over the next year, would be, be my guess. So that's good? That's good. Um, secondly, there's, there's consideration of the base effects. So energy prices, oil prices have gone up a lot. And if they just stay the same, stay at that elevated level, then there's no inflationary impact mm-hmm. in the, com- the coming 12 months. So that also is helpful and will reduce The rate of inflation. The problem is, that the inflation um, has been around for so long, and is likely to stay around, particularly given the war, with its impact on food as well as energy, um, for wages to start to respond. And wages are by far the best indicator of ongoing inflation. I see. And so we've seen wages uh, rise quite a lot. There's going to be some very interesting negotiations in the UK uh, coming up. So nurses, for instance, um, I think the recommended uh, increase is 3.5%, something of that kind.
0: Um, one nursing union has suggested that 12 would be a more appropriate level. Um, so and, you're reckoning the workers are not going to accept the argument that inflation is transitory. They're, they're feeling it right now.
1: Right. And, and at a minimum, they want to be compensated for past inflation. An absolute minimum, um, but generally, just looking back over history, workers have always felt that that um, they should be at least compensated for for current inflation. And in fact, there are I recall academic studies done in the seventies, which demonstrated um, that people who didn't get a, a wage rise, which kept them whole, uh, on the whole became uh, demoralized and, and and productivity fell. So so uh, there's. There's every reason. But of course, I have sympathy with people settling wages now because who knows what the inflation rate is? Is it the very high rate we are enjoying today um, and which will peak again if the bank is right in, 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 uh, in the autumn? Uh, or is it the underlying rate, which is probably about half that, you know, about that level? Um, but um, because of that change in globalisation, particularly... And demography, as good heart as it has uh, expanded, but but particularly globalisation, uh, which it actually looks as though it's in reverse now, um, with the geopolitics as much as anything else, as well as the experience of, of COVID and, and the demonstrated benefits of short supply lines and so forth. So companies are trying to produce their goods nearer to, to yeah. their home markets. Yeah, have more control, um, but but also um, there's ever greater reluctance to to have reliance on China. Um, after the experience of what it's been like to have reliance on anything coming from Russia. Um, And um, so the underlying situation is dramatically different from what it's been in the years from, let's say the early 90s uh, to last year. And so to analyze it, it's probably better to go back to see how did markets and, and inflation rates behave in earlier periods. And I think the best illustration that we can find is that in the, in the late 60s. So in 1965, President Johnson was elected, you know, unfortunately, no, it wasn't elected, actually, he moved into the White House in, in unfortunate circumstances on the uh, death of Jack Kennedy. And he had a great ambition to do something for the poor. Um, And he launched the so-called Great Society Programme. So this is where Medicare and Medicaid uh, were uh, launched. And um, he inherited the Vietnam War. And because the war was so unpopular, he did not feel able to tax the population to pay for it or pay for both. And And this is where the debt problem starts to emerge? Well, it's where the overstimulation problem starts to emerge. So we'll get to the monetary policy later. But, but, so in 1965, the budget was in balance. Um, Inflation had been for five years between one and one and a half percent. Unemployment had been falling. So actually when he came into office, it was more or less at the NARU, i.e. as low as it can get without causing inflation. And his policies overstimulated it, increased the budget deficit and it blew out by nothing compared with where we are now, but, but to 2.5% of, of GDP. But that overstimulation of an already fully, fully employed economy uh, pushed inflation up by roughly 1% a year. So, in the middle, middle of the 60s, it was 1.5. By the end, it was 6. Uh, after that, obviously, it got much higher in the, in, in the 70s. But, um, and we have as a basic background exactly that going on now. So forgetting all these special factors, the deficit, budget deficit, even for this year, and the economy is, is clearly fully employed. Huge shortages of labor everywhere. And the deficit's forecast to be 4.8%. Uh, if we get the slower growth that, that is quite widely feared, presumably it'll be greater. Um, so we've got exactly the same thing. Overstimulation on the fiscal front. Um, and presenting the Fed with a
0: really difficult problem. So where do you think inflation could be going then uh, if it isn't as transitory because wage demands? Okay, so, 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 in as, as we were discussing,
1: there are all sorts of things to push it down in the short term. So by the end of the year, it will be significantly lower than it is today. And so as we speak, it begins with an age. Um but um, I would expect it to be down to four and a half, five by by the end of the year. But that's not on the way to the two and a half that the market's anticipating. I see. After that, it it it, uh, it keeps going unless we have a major recession. It keeps going, sort of down or up? no? It keeps going up. Mm. Um, it, well, it recovers, it dips to that. But um, <clears throat> but the um, the market is assuming we, we will get some sort of. Minor recession, and that, that somehow will control inflation and control wages. Um, I think the evidence for that looking at past history is, is quite insubstantial um, so we anticipate it's a very long way of answering your question but we anticipate that at some stage investors will come to believe that that inflation will be higher and then break evens will go significantly higher
0: and There'll be a significant capital gain on tips. So, um, is that so? The Treasury uh, index-linked U.S. government bonds are linked uh, to inflation. Uh, yes, they're called Treasury Inflation-Protected Securities. Thank you. Um,
1: and um, uh, because there's another reason for believing inflation has to be quite high, which is that if you have excessive levels of debt, then the re- Historically, there have been just two ways of, of solving that. One is to default on the debt or to have circumstances where creditors uh, uh, lose their money. Um, and the other is to inflate it away with financial repression, as it's called, which is the state of play where inflation is high, but nominal interest rates are well below that rate of inflation. Because one way or another, the owners of the debt have got to lose. <laughs> um, and the um, when you've got excessive debt, that process has to be sufficiently long or great um, to, to uh, get debt into a better relationship with assets and incomes. So after the war, the, the World War, France had a huge debt. Um, but they had a, a um, really uh, quite alarming period for five years until 1950, where, where inflation was very elevated and got to 50%. Um, but, but at the end of that period, they had dealt with the debt. And uh, I can't help noticing that that period was followed by Les trente Glorieuses, the 30 years when the French economy grew uh, remarkably. Um,
0: I see. And and that's kind of like the conditions in which you took over capital gearing. Well, indeed, indeed. So, so as we stand right now, your thesis has been sort of proved uh, well completely right. But there's more to go. You can see inflation rising, and therefore (laughs) the effect on stock markets is going to be further falls because they're not really anticipating that.
1: So, inflation, uh, well, they might be starting to now, but um, but inflation historically has not been good for for equities, although well, I should refine that uh, slightly. So, if you take a full cycle from low inflation through high inflation to low inflation again, over the full period, you've done fine in equities. But it turns out that almost all the reward comes from the peak. Um, and, and, uh, and rising inflation has tended to be very bad for inflation, for, for markets, equity markets. Um, I've been thinking about why that's might be the case, Um, because certainly in the early stages, back in the 60s, looking back at that period, in the early stages of that inflation, equities did fine. Mm -hmm. They peaked in real terms in 1969. But I think it's because, as well as as, um, some effect on valuation on PEs, because nominal rates tend to rise with inflation, there is also a recognition that it's going to require a recession to defeat inflation or to control it. And the, that itself inclines people to put a lower valuation on the earnings even while they're going up.
0: So are you, are you, are you, you're position very defensively, you invest uh, a third in uh, these interlinked bonds, you um, invested in property. Yeah, could you just tell us, remind us, of, you know, what's the your asset allocation and what it's trying to achieve? Because yes. your 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 philosophy is capital preservation. You, you yes. want to preserve people's money in real terms after inflation, which clearly is going up. Correct. So, so um, our allocation at the moment
1: is is twenty um, percent in what we call dry carbon, rather. That's to say, very short index link treasury bills, um, very short quality corporate bonds. Um, and so forth and cash um, and then we have the um, third and in, in, as you say in indexing to one form or another so there's a bit of an overlap there, isn't Um and and we have rather more in risk assets than you might imagine for someone with a uh, rather pessimistic view
0: when you talk about shares and property I think yeah property and alternatives
1: and, and that sort of thing um, and the reason why we have got a bit more in risk assets than you might expect uh, is that if we go back to February 2020, we had 30% in risk assets because um, we thought values were very difficult to uh, to invest in. Um, obviously, March 2020 threw up a lot lot more opportunities. And by the time we get to the end of the summer, we're 50% invested uh, For you, in, in risk assets. For it's a lot. Um, still uncertain how things are going to work out, they have worked out much better than we we, uh, uh, than we could count on, we thought. Um, uh, but um, and we're still about 44, 45% in risk assets. And the reason why we've got much less in cash like dry powder, uh, much more in is the cash was then um, very limited in, in its um, losses from inflation. So. So the, the real value of cash didn't go down much, didn't, didn't move much, um, whereas now plenty it, 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 it does. So we have a lot of emphasis on trying to capture um, indexation of one kind or another in equity markets so or alternative
0: markets. Um, early this year or end of last year, you, I think you, you increased your holdings in, for example, renewable infrastructure funds.
1: Yes. And you like
0: them because, uh, you know, they're selling their, they've got, they've got index linked inflation linked contracts to, to sell their power.
1: Well, some, some of them have, and um, well, for some of their revenues, they're, they're, they have indexation, uh, which is, indeed is very valuable. But, uh, but they also have exposure to merchant power. And the war, actually Russia, I should say, not just the war, but Russia has transformed the outlook for power prices in Europe, for some time to come, I think. So back in the summer, long before there was a war, they were Gazprom was not shipping gas for storage. So obviously, summer is a time of storage of, power, of gas, and the um, winter you use those stores. Um, so the inventories were very low going into the into the um, into the winter, and it. It seemed to us that Russia having achieved a market share, which was so high, roughly 40% of of European gas, had discovered that they had power, not unlike that of OPEX in the oil market in the 1970s, they had sufficient uh, market share that if they cut back supply just a little, they could raise the price a lot and making their total revenues higher. And the, um, war obviously has exacerbated that a lot. So there are all sorts of plans for Europe to replace Russian gas, which they're doing as rapidly as they possibly can. So you know, there's no criticism of that at all. Um, but what they replace it with is going to be more expensive than, than, uh, gas was before
0: all this process began. There's been an estimate that it's going to cost Germany 12% of its GDP.
1: Right. (laughs) Yes, these these are big numbers, aren't they? But but for us, just just looking at the infrastructure stocks, um, the key point is that merchant gas was always, or merchant power, was always discounted at a much higher rate than those fixed index-linked cash flows which which you referred to, Uh, with good reason, because they were very uncertain. Um, but in these circumstances, we're pretty confident that the prices will be sustainably of power, will be sustainably higher than it was before all this process began. Not necessarily as high as it is now. But um, but it presumably has to fall from now because then it looks, looks um, absurd, but, but, but nevertheless sustainably higher. Um, and when you get those sort of cash flows being discounted at, at numbers like 8%, 8.5%, that's sort of very attractive mm. uh, we've they've moved a long way in the last uh, few months so so we've been very very pleased with the, those investments uh, but I don't think the th- the story's over yet
0: are you so, seeing any other opportunities in uh, investment companies because discounts have been widening in recent weeks um yes so we we um in fact today we we have
1: bought quite a lot of, of uh of an investment trust. Um, I'm not going to mention which one it is, uh, again, because we're still buying it. Um, but um, we do get circumstances where you get distressed sellers, and, and um, discounts are are uh, getting significantly wider. Um, and we particularly like trusts where, where um, there are commitments that the discount will not be allowed to uh, to uh, expand. So the board will buy back shares? Or? Well, it's where they say they will. Mm-hmm. Um, so very often, they're rather feeble about it. Um, so they they do indeed buy back shares. They don't buy back enough to prevent the discount from widening, um, which is quite contrary to what they said. I mean, they committed to to a discount level, not that they would make a token gesture mm-hmm. if, if discounts were wider. Um, so, and we have been quite successful over the, over the years to holding the feet of directors to the fire a bit mm. and saying, look, you made a promise here, you need to keep it. Um, and um, that is much better for them. It's much better for the trust. It's better for everybody. It's certainly better for the shareholders. Um, but also, of course, they make significant capital gains when they buy in at discounts um, and sell, uh, selling
0: assets obviously apart. And just thinking about your, you know, you've criticised, um uh, investors who have a naive ESG approach. So uh, ESG being environmental, social governance. But uh, you know, you, you've taken a pop at uh, investors who um, you know, exclude oil companies from their portfolios. Right. Um, and I think that's because you, know, you, th- you argue, and, and others argue, that they need uh, capital support while we're going through this transition. Well, uh, I think the, the, the key thing is to decide what kind
1: of an investor you want to be, one that improves the world, or one that has uh, marketing potential because we've it's got nothing to do with with, with anything that's on green funds r- 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 yeah yeah absolutely um and uh, i saw bp the other day um, i think every second word was responsible i mean they really get the message um and and um they behave in, a, in an excellent way and think about a world where the ambition of some campaigners was met, and none of us would, 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 would own BP or Shell, or we'd persuade them all to sell all their oil assets and, and gas assets. And what would happen? We still need oil and gas. Uh, so this is um, this is Pontius Pilate. Uh, right. I, I use the products, but I wash my hands of the uh, process of getting it to me. Um, but, but if you think about what will happen is they all end up in the hands of presumably private equity and a particular kind of private equity, which has no qualms about what happens and and, and are presumably much less responsible than BP or Shell would be. So I think this is not an advance for the world. But the other thing is that if we electrify the world, we're going to use a lot more um, electricity um, and... The amount of, of uh, oil uh, demanded is, is forecast to be roughly where it is now for some time to come. But oil fields is depleted about 5% a year. So it requires a lot of investment to stand still. Um, and if we don't provide that investment, and it, the evidence is uh, that that is the investment in, in future supply is below that required, uh, then the price will be very high. Now, if you're green, you might think that's great. Um, but I think if you're a
0: consumer, you wouldn't. Um, so we need to be careful about what we wish for. Absolutely. Um, getting towards the end of my questions, Peter, but just in terms of your uh, um, performance, your, your aim is to, as I said earlier, is to give investors in capital gearing um, a, a, a real return after inflation. And, uh, and and you've done that over the long term. Um, you don't necessarily beat the UK stock market, but it's a uh, it's a real return after inflation, and it's a less volatile uh, performance than the following the, well, the, the uh, stock market uh, index. I suppose the, the, I,
1: if I can be allowed to, to develop that answer a bit. Of course, we've always taken the view that when prospective returns in any given asset or asset class are good and risk is low, you should own that in the with the longest duration you can, to lock in those returns for as long as possible. So back in 82, everything was good value, as I mentioned. And the longest duration asset was equities. And we
0: owned all equities, to not own anything else. So back then, yes, capital gearing, which we now, we think of as kind of owning these inflection-linked bonds and, 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 and a bit of property, and all the other things you've talked about. But back then, you, you only owned shares. Yeah. So a very different beast. Yeah. So if you fast forward
1: to the end of the 90s, equity valuations were getting very rich. And we owned very little in equities. But bonds still offered fantastic value, including nominal bonds, so about 4.5% real, that sort of thing. So we owned a lot of bonds, including um, 30-year bonds and so forth, which is why we were able to sail through the crash of 2000 with an up year. Um, And one of the things I'm proudest of about our record is that although the, the overall return has been quite satisfactory. said so if you'd put um, 10,000 pounds into the shares in in, in um, 1982 and reinvested the income, who does that, but anyway, mm. <laughs> re- reinvested yeah. the income. The theoretical investor. You would now have 2.8 million. Wow. So a long, long way ahead of the UK market. Okay. Um, but but the, com- the compass is also true. When prospective returns are very poor, then, uh, and risk is high, you want as least as little duration as as you uh, can possibly achieve. Um, And and that probably means very low weightings in in ordinary equities. Um, So I can't remember if I used the analogy last time we spoke, uh, Gavin, but I think it's like Grandma's Footsteps. I don't think you did. How do you mean? Okay, so Grandma's Footsteps is a game where, which most people have played, not necessarily under that name, where Granny stands at the end of the lawn or the drawing room, facing away from it. And small children line up at the other end. And they race and the first person to touch her wins. But if she turns round and sees you moving, you're out. So any intelligent three year old works out pretty quickly. The granny never turns around twice in quick succession. So when she's just turned round, you run as, they fast run as you can. Exactly. And then after a very short period, you prepare to stop. And uh, all I can say about current markets is that granny hasn't turned around for a very long time.
0: Right. So, well, this brings me towards my sort of um, final question is, you know, what, you're waiting for this big clear out, a Volcker moment, markets to fall even more. For inflation to erode the value of debts and for you know companies to be cleansed, um, how long do you think that could be? And um, you know, and will that be your fi- will that be your final moment? Will you retire at that point once <laughs> you've got this kind of you know complete uh, revolution? Right. So we don't know how long it'll be
1: because um, just to go right back to the beginning of our conversation, that process of the purging of debt, which which happened in the seventies has got to happen again, before Volcker can be applied. If you applied Volcker's kind of policies um, today, you will get a depression. So the the timing depends on quite how high inflation is. Um, Obviously, the higher it is, the shorter the period it needs to exist for Mm -hmm. to achieve this objective. Um, And we don't know which what the makeup of that will be. So I think it's quite impossible to put timing on it. Um, but um, it will be an uncomfortable period. Um, if, if uh, as you say, we get back to the conditions of 82, then PEs will be sudden. Um, at least they were then. Um, so it's gonna be really quite an uncomfortable period um, for, for assets and, and, and choppy waters to sail through um but fascinating of course to, you sound, to, to, you're quite to, excited that your thesis might be well I, out. I, quite, I, I, you know i i never get any pleasure from other people losing money but uh, it, it's um, it's a competitive game but but um our ideal is for us to do well and other people to do almost as well um definitely not for them to be uh, uh, carried out on the sword um and and um so it, it's it is very interesting um, and, uh, so when I, when I will retire, um, I think will just be a function of when I no longer find it uh, interesting. Um, and, but what I would say about that is that whereas uh, for periods of running capital, going trust, I've done it completely on my own. Um, we, we now have a really high quality team so that if I, if I did retire, tomorrow um i feel very confident the same process that, will continue that, that, that the trust will be at least as well run as, as it has been
0: uh, okay well on that note peter i'll say um thank you very much and um maybe we'll, we'll get you back in in two years time and see if we're any closer to any of these uh Volca moments or how we're going on, on on this thesis but clearly so far uh, it seems to be going your way and um it's been a, a pleasure to hear you uh, explain it all thank you very much thank you gavin